I've got to tell you, I love being in this house. You know, uh, I get to go to different places, and uh, I don't know exactly what it is, but there is something about being in this house, and particularly during worship, that just really, you know, ministers to me. I don't know, those of you who are here all the time, I'm not sure, you know, whether it's the same for you as it is for me, but I just so appreciate this house. I so appreciate the worship team and everything else, and I appreciate the opportunity to come and and share with you this morning. How many of y'all were here six months ago when I shared back in September? Okay. Okay, I'm not going to, we're going to go a different direction uh, this morning. Normally I do a lot of teaching and there'll hopefully be a little bit of teaching, uh, this morning, but the, uh, I guess I was here about three weeks ago with Joel Jelski the week before he spoke. And I guess, uh, Tracy was, uh, sharing and I was sitting right over here and during worship, um, I felt like the Lord told me, I knew I was going to be speaking today. And I felt like he told me to tell them the stories. And by that, you know, I felt like he meant for me to give some of the financial stories, the testimony of what we've lived through, uh, and why it's kind of the basis of where we come from, you know, when we're teaching on uh, money. Now, the problem with giving your testimony, if you haven't ever done it much, is there's this sense of real vulnerability. In other words, is this going to be like watching home movies, you know, where you take the most intimate you know, experiences of your life and you put them out there and it's like, yeah, so what? You know, so I'm hoping that that's not going to be the case. I'm, in fact, I'm trusting the Lord that that's not going to be the case. Um, but it, it does feel vulnerable, so y'all can be praying about that. And, you know, the interesting thing is I've never shared all of these stories. I'm, I'm going to share five or six different things that the Lord's done. I've never shared them all in one setting. So this will be kind of interesting to see what the Lord, you know, uh, does with this. I've shared them at different times, but never in in one uh, setting like this. Bill Johnson uh, has a book, and um, I honestly don't remember the name of the book, but I was reading it, I I guess, about a year ago, and he said one of the things that's missing in the power of the church today is the power of testimonies. Because it's not really my story, it's not really our story, it's really his story and what he did in our lives. And what the power of it is, and you'll miss this if you don't think about this in advance, is the purpose of the testimony is so you can interject yourself into this story and say, you know, if he'll do that for them, Maybe he'll do this thing that I need over here for me. And so it's not really about what he did for us per se that's important as the fact that he cares about us at such a deep, intimate level. You know, the area of money is one of those things. That's where we live. You know, I mean, that's where life actually plays out. And for most of us, at various points in time, we have an insufficient amount of money, or we're really struggling, you know, financially. And we have this tendency to think that the Lord has forgotten about us because what the world says is that you measure success by money. And in fact, there's a, a, a theme that kind of runs through Christianity that is unspoken, but it's widely held that basically if I'm pursuing the Lord wholeheartedly, things generally will go well for me. And so when they don't go well, we have a tendency to think, has the Lord forgotten about me? And the reality is, you know, and he even addresses this in Isaiah 49, where he says, you know, Zion will say, you know, the Lord has forgotten me, the Lord has forsaken me. And he says, you know, can a new a born baby at the breast of its mother. Can a mother forget a newborn that she's breastfeeding? But that will happen before I will forget you. I've engraved you on the palms of my hand. And so the thing is, regardless of what your circumstances may be, especially in the area of money, he hasn't forgotten us. He doesn't measure his faithfulness to us based on our individual circumstances at the moment. He measures it by the cross. And we've got to keep that in mind because otherwise we'll, we'll have a tendency to pull back and feel like he just doesn't love me as, as much as the next guy. Or he did that for that guy, but 
He's never done anything like that, you know, for me. You know, all of us want a financial miracle. All of us want a miracle of some kind, whether it's financial or, you know, healing or whatever. But none of us want to actually be in the position where we need to have a miracle. You know, so we do everything we can to avoid being in the position where we need a miracle, and yet we say we want to have a miracle. And, you know, what he says when he was talking to Paul about the thorn in the side is, you know, that his power is perfected in our weakness. And so we're trying to be strong, and he's trying to get us in a position of weakness where we have to depend on him. So anyway, as we go through this morning, I want you to think about that. The other thing that can happen to you, and I've, I've lived both ends of this, and we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit, is at the other end, when things are going well, we have a tendency to forget God. We have a tendency to think that somehow we've created whatever it is, you know, our own blessings. And of course, he addresses that in Deuteronomy 8. I'm not going to spend a lot of time, you know, with that this morning, but he gives us the power to create wealth. So either way, it's him. It's all him. It's all him all the time. And we just have to keep that in mind. So in any event, that's what we're going to do today. Now, before, um, before I start, I want to say one other thing that's completely unrelated, but totally related. And that is, I hope I have a deep sense in my spirit. It, is, it has been amazing this week. I have been unable to read any of the articles talking about the new pope without crying. I have been deeply moved in my spirit that this is a transitional shift that the Lord is doing at this moment in time. And the impact is going to be not only for the stream of, of people that are in the Catholic movement, but, but to, to highlight someone who is focused on the poor and the marginalized and serving, not being served, and those kinds of things that he stands for. If nothing else, all the stories that are going to come out in the secular press about who Francis of Assisi was. I mean, if, if there wasn't anything else, we're going to, you know, the whole world is going to learn about Francis of Assisi. You know, and one of the favorite things, and I think this new pope is going to uh, be uh, demonstrating this, is, you know, Francis of Assisi says, you know, preach the gospel always, when necessary, use words, you know. And that's really what it's supposed to be about. And I just believe that this is a moment in time that, what the Lord wants to do, we have a tendency to think that when he blesses us with money, we're going to talk about this, that it's for our own use. And it's not, you know. I mean, yeah, he wants to take care of us, but he wants to bless other people. He wants to bless the earth. He wants to bless everyone. And he wants us to all do it together. So I just really uh, want to encourage us all to be praying uh, for the Pope. So anyway, I don't normally do it this way, but I'm going to say, I'm going to tell you in advance what I believe the Lord's wanting to highlight this morning. Um, first of all, we need an increase in revelation as it, relate, as it relates to everything, but specifically in the area of money because that's where we live. And here's what I mean by that. I'll use a different example. Everybody believes and says, Jesus loves me, right? But some of us actually get a revelation that no, really, he loves me. Now, it's totally different when you get that revelation than before. Now, the vocabulary is the same, but the revelation is totally different. And what we need is we need a revelation in all these areas, okay? And what I'm hoping you'll see this morning as I share is, no, really, it not only is his money, he really is going to take care of me. So, you know, the first thing we need is an increase in revelation. The second thing he wants to do, I believe, is to stir up our faith. So we can walk in these unseen realms. We give lip service to the fact that there's this unseen realm that's going on around us. And yet, for most of us, we tend to forget that. And we tend to look at our circumstances rather than what God said. And particularly when it comes down to something as intimate as money, because we got to pay the bill tomorrow. You know, we got to put food on the table. We've got to save for retirement or whatever it is that we're worried about. So... We're worried about the here and now, and it's much harder to use the eyes of our heart rather than the eyes of our head. Now, in our particular case, the Lord gave us some, some situations where we had no choice, and those are some of the things we want to share about. But anyway, I believe he wants to stir up our faith this morning. This is really important. I really believe he wants to break strongholds today. We don't need more information, okay? I mean, we already know more than we're doing, 
Okay, what we need is an encounter with Jesus. That's what needs to happen. And many of us in many areas have strongholds in our lives, and particularly in the area of money. It's not, not just money, but, but this is one where there's a lot of strongholds. And those strongholds may be there because of things that have been spoken over you in the past that you bought into and believed and a stronghold developed. It may just be false belief systems that you allowed the enemy to come in where it's the enemy telling you a lie that you believe. But many of us have strongholds. We want to break those strongholds today in each other's lives. That's, that's really important. So that we can then walk in financial freedom and we can bless other people and live generously and we can break the strongholds in other people's lives, which is actually something that I think was actually mentioned earlier this morning, you know, is that we're, we're actually given the freedom to others that the Lord's given to us. And so that's one of the things I think that he's highlighting. And then finally, and I'm not going to spend any time on this, and maybe one day I'll come back and we'll be able to talk about this in more detail. This is especially true of this house because there is a governmental authority called everything that God's doing. He, whether it's an individual life, a family, a business, or a church, he has a divine purpose, a unique purpose of that particular organization, if you will. And the same thing's true about this particular house. And on this house, he has this calling that has to do with governmental authority. We're not going to uh, spend any time talking about that today. I just want to reiterate it. And what it means is walking in the power of the Holy Spirit and speaking things creatively to come to life is really on you guys from a calling point of view. And, and hopefully we'll be able to release some of that as it relates to money. Okay, before I get into the stories, I want to talk briefly about a couple of the false belief systems that we have. And the reason I'm pointing this out is because there's a tendency to deflect and to think, well, that story doesn't apply to me because we don't really think about what our false belief systems are. Okay, now going back to the revelation, the question, the, one of the fundamental questions is, whose money is it? Now we say it's God's money, but we live and act as though it's our money. And in fact, it is his money. He can add to it. He can take away from it. He can tell you how to spend it that's differently than what you thought it should be. And you don't have any say over that. And you really have to get that at a revelatory level to be able to walk through this because otherwise there's this tendency to think, well, I've got to do this. I've got this bill to pay. I've got to do this for retirement. I've got to do this for my kids' college or whatever, all of which is important. I'm not saying don't worry about any of that. What I'm saying is you have to understand it's not your money. That's a fundamental definition of stewardship. It's not your money. It's his money, really. Not, not just in language. We'll say that. We'll turn right around and go home and work on our personal financial statements or work on our retirement plan. It's not your money. It's not your retirement. It's not your financial statement. It's nothing. And anyway, we could, we could spend all morning just talking about that one thing. A second fundamental problem we have is we think that primarily when he blesses me financially, even if that's just to take care of my needs, that it's primarily for my own needs and wants. So if I get a big raise at work, or if I get a big, you know, uh, a big job comes through, or something like that where I'm blessed financially, we start talking about what we can do with the money instead of inquiring what does he want to do with the money. And it's really, really an important thing. And so the question is, I work with a lot of high income, high net worth individuals, and one of the conversations I'll have with people will be, did you ever expect to be in this situation? And to a person, they all say, no, I never expected to have this. Well, so then the question is, well, why do you think that happened? Did you just win the gene pool lottery? I mean, you got lucky. Or did God bless you? Oh, no, no, it was God's blessing. Well, if God blessed you, why did he do that? What was his purpose in giving you that money? And the general answer is, I don't know. But don't you think that ought to be something we explore? <laughs> you know? Now, you don't have to be wealthy for that to be true. 
In other words, why, why has God put you in the situation you're in financially? What is it that he's wanting to do? Now, he may be challenging you to trust him more in an area if you don't have enough. Or if you have more than enough, he may be challenging you. You know, one of the toughest things to learn to do is to walk with a full cup. And that's one of the things he allows us, you know, to go through. A good friend of mine is a guy named Jay Link, who's a national expert in, in giving and encouraging people to give. And he wrote a, uh, a paper here recently about how reliable a giver are you? Now, he doesn't mean by that what we think he means by that. What his question underneath that was, if the Lord wants to give $10,000 to something that matters to him, through you, how much money does he have to get to you to get the $10,000 where he wants it to be? Can he give you $10,000 and tell you that you're supposed to turn around and give it all away? Does he have to give you $100,000 so that you'll tithe and get the $10,000 where it needs to be? Does he have to give you $300,000 so that you'll give the average of what most Christians give, which is around 3%? You know, how reliable are you in giving what he wants you to give? And so the question I would ask you today is, how often are you inquiring of the Lord, what do you want me to do with the financial resources you have given me. So that's something that'll come to light here as we go through this. Now, one of the next questions that really hangs people up, whose responsibility is it primarily for your financial well-being? Is it yours or is it the Lord's? Now, everything in Scripture, now I'm not saying sit on a hillside and expect money to come to you. That's not what I'm saying. But everything in Scripture says basically it's the Lord's responsibility. You know, unless the Lord builds the house, those that build it labor in vain. In fact, the next verse, he says, in vain you get up early and stay up late toiling for food to, to eat, but while they sleep, the Lord provides for those he loves. And we're going to hear a story about that later on. But we don't live that way. We think, I've got to save for my kids' college. I've got to save for retirement. I've got to save for this or that or the other. I can't give money away, even though I may feel like the Lord's urging me to do it, but that would be imprudent if I were to do so. Because we've been influenced by the world's systems as to how we're supposed to deal with money. Which begs another question. Are we supposed to act prudently with our money that he's running through us or obediently. We tend to think we, it's primarily that we're supposed to act prudently, but really what we're supposed to do is be obedient. And let me assure you, he will ask you to do things that seem imprudent. That's the way he operates. So you just have to get used to that and be willing to deal with it. You know, the question comes down to what is faith and what's presumption? We say, well, I don't want to be presumptuous. Well, did the Lord say when I return, will I find presumption on the earth? I mean, is that something he was worried about? He's primarily worried about, will I find faith, you know, on the earth? Are you going to do what I'm telling you to do? Are we going to go by what we see? Or are we going to go by what he said? Whether it's in scripture or whether it's in the words that he gives us. What are we going to do? We have got to learn to shut off the eyes of our head to see with the eyes of our heart. And that's in every area. What's more important? You know, I do a lot of financial planning and, you know, people say, well, you need to defer what you're uh, spending now so that you'll have more money to be able to live in, you know, retirement or once again, take care of your college, you know, kids or whatever. But nobody talks about, well, what about this age versus the age to come? You know, I mean, we fundamentally kind of think it doesn't matter. It's going to kind of all work out in the end. And yet when Jesus said, you know, well, you can save here, he didn't say it's a bad thing. He just said, you're going to lose a lot of it. You know, you got moth and rush, you got thieves, you got all sorts of things that are going to interfere with you if you save it here. 
but you invest in the age to come, none of that stuff's going to happen. So he actually says it matters if we're investing in the age to come. But we don't live that way because we have needs that are here and now. And if I, if I put that money into a retirement plan, if you will, that's, that's a terrible use of word. If I put it into an investment for the age to come, what if I don't have enough money here? Let's be honest about it. We fundamentally do not trust God with our money. And or we do not want to lose control. Now, if you think about that for a second, that is dumb. I mean, really? We're going to trust our ability to manage our money and accumulate it more than the Creator God. Is that really seriously your final answer? I mean, is that really the position you want to take. And yeah, that's the position we all take. Okay. And we've got to recognize it. You know, we can't change unless we actually say, you know, what's going on. And I can't remember if I mentioned this earlier or not, but there's a tendency to measure success based on money versus measuring success based on obedience. You know, what Jesus said in praying in John 17 is, I brought you glory by accomplishing the work you gave me to do. Let's suppose, this is a, all metaphors are imperfect by their very nature, but let's suppose he's called you to be a mailman, you know, in the mailroom of some company. And instead, you kind of fight off that and become, work your way up and become president of the company. You would think you were successful, and yet you weren't because you weren't doing what he called you to do, whatever that may be. So the real issue in life is not how much money are you making, how much money do you have. The real issue in life is what has the Lord called me to do and am I doing it? These are things I wish I'd known when I was first starting out. I didn't know a lot of this stuff, so I made a ton of mistakes. I made way more mistakes than anybody else that I've ever known. And so, you know, that's one of the things we'll hear about some of today. So I'm going to read a, a passage. Remember the... Um, when, when the uh, demon-possessed guy was healed and they went into the pigs and they ran down, you know, into the water and drowned themselves. Afterwards, the guy, much like we would, he said, let, let me go with you. I want to go with you. And what Jesus says is, return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. So he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city the great things Jesus had done for him. And that's what we want to try to do today. Okay, so giving you a brief background that kind of leads up to the, some of the story. I started out with one of the major accounting firms, uh, worked there for 10 years, was relatively successful, felt like I was supposed to leave, did leave, um, actually worked there five years, uh, went and did some stuff for a year or two, and then went back for about five years and then started my own practice. During that interim time in between, I was working with some people in a particular business that I believed would one day become very successful, that I would, uh, in fact, financial independence was what they were promoting. It was something I was somewhat obsessed with becoming, was financially independent. And in the midst of all that, a couple of things happened. I had an encounter with the Lord, uh, received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This was May 1st, 1982. Um, 20 days later, May 20th, our firstborn son was stillborn. And so that was obviously a, a very traumatic experience. And during this time, I was walking, doing what now some people have called prayer walks. I was walking in the morning and just praying, and I was learning to hear the Lord, learning to hear the voice of the Lord. He told me a number of things. Um, he told me he was returning within a generation. I thought it was my generation. I've come to believe it's my children's generation, but be that as it may, that he's coming back soon, essentially. Uh, some of them weren't, weren't positive. You know, we're going to see martyrdom in the United States even, you know, things along those lines. But there was, there was this intimacy in, in walking this out. Well, one of the things I inquired about is, well, Lord, if I leave this business and go back to, my, to this big accounting firm, I'm going to be with these people the rest of my life. They're going to have a bunch of money, and I'm not. What's that about? What, how should I handle that? And I felt like he said, you know, you're always going to have what you need, but I, you're never going to have much because the day is going to come when I'm going to walk, ask you to walk away from everything 
and I'm not going to make it any more difficult on you than it's already going to be. Now, I did not know fully then. I do not know fully today what all that means, but I've been living with that, you know, for the last 30 years. So I went back, went to work for the, for the um, major accounting firm, worked there another five years, and then I started my practice about five years later. So now I'm about 10 years into my career. And when you start a practice or when you, well, anything, you start a new business, it's not uncommon for the business to take a while to get going. And it's not uncommon for you to struggle financially. And so I had been making a pretty decent amount of income at the time, what was a decent amount of income. And then so my income essentially dropped by 80%, something along those lines, which was fairly significant. <laughs> it does not matter what the numbers are, that's fairly significant. And so in 1987, we found ourselves in the following situation, and I'm gonna use percentages uh, so that you can relate to it. Um, our short-term debt, things like credit cards, were equal to 300% of my annual income. It was equal to 150% of our mortgage. Okay, now this is our short-term debt. Our minimum monthly payments on credit cards, cars, etc., was equal to 100% of our gross income. In other words, for me to make the minimum payments, there was no money for food, there was no money for taxes, there was no money for anything. Um, and let's see, what was the other one? Oh yeah, in one month, September of 1987, our insufficient fund charges, our check charges, you know, when you write hot checks, you know, or checks that don't clear, uh, was 150% of our mortgage payment. That's a big number, okay? And then the next year, uh, Brittany, we were pregnant with Brittany, and even though we'd gotten behind on paying for the health care, the health insurance, they kept confirming that the coverage was there until she was born and the claims came. And so then they retroactively canceled our insurance. And so we had to pay for what was a troubled pregnancy, and that cost us about 50% of our annual income, a number that was about 50% of our annual income. So I said all that to say, things were not going well financially. <laughs> and I would say that most of you would be able to say, no matter what my situation is, yeah, that's kind of bad. Okay. Now, oddly, you know, when you get in that sort of situation, you um, have to rely on the Lord. Does that make sense? If you can't, you know, put food on the table and make your payments, there's not a lot you can do. Now, in the middle of all this, the Lord convicted us about tithing. Because we had not been tithing since we had gotten into this mess, you know. And to make it worse, now, we want, maybe one day I'll come back and we'll talk about tithing in, in more detail, but as a general uh, statement, most of you are salaried, and so if you, you know, there's a question, do you tithe on the gross or you do tithe on the net, you know, of your salary, I've been, always been a believer of tithing on the gross of the salary, but be that as it may, let's just talk about the salary, okay? But I didn't have a salary, I had a business. So the business had money come in, and then it had expenses, and the net income would then be my gross salary, if you will, if I were taking a salary. And in my particular numbers, for every $100 that came in, about 60 of it was expenses. And so my net was about $40. And so a tithe on the 40 would have been $4. But for a season, he says, I want you to tithe on the gross of your business, which was $10. In other words, essentially, he was asking me to go from zero to 25% of my gross salary. I was like, are you out of your mind? I mean, what are you thinking? I can't tithe at all. And you want me to tithe on the gross? What is the matter with you? <laughs> and his response was, I'm going to teach you that I am your provider. So 
that's what we did. And so when I'd get a check in for $1,000, I'd immediately sit down and write a check for $100, put the $900 in the account, and then that's what we'd spend. And I mean, literally, we didn't necessarily have enough money to buy groceries, okay? But that's what, the way we did it. Now, from time to time, as you might guess, you know, you might get a little sloppy with it, and so there was a time where I'd gotten behind a couple hundred dollars. Now, that doesn't sound like much, but to me, at that time, $200 was the world, okay? But I had this deep conviction, and I was like, Lord, I am so sorry that I've allowed myself to not do what you asked me to do. And I promise that the first money that comes in, I will give it to you, you know, and I'm, I'm going to make this right. So right after that, I get a call by a ministry, of all things, that has gone out of business that was going to pay, I'd done some work, and they were only partially paying the bill, and they gave me a check for a couple hundred dollars. So I put, you know, the, the deposit in the bank, and immediately I wrote a check and mailed it to the church, because I was afraid if it hit the bottom of the checkbook, it would disappear somewhere else. So I sent that $200 away. Well, this was the same, this was on a Friday before a men's retreat that um, we were going to go to, and I felt like the Lord had told me that he was going to, that he wanted me to pay attention at the men's retreat because he was going to teach me something I would never forget. And so I was down front, sitting there taking notes. You know, I wanted to hear what the Lord had to say, and it was okay, but it wasn't that good. Okay. Well, as it turns out, and I, I had known about it, but I hadn't given it a great deal of thought. At the same time, we had an electricity bill that was due on Tuesday. No, it was due on Monday, I guess. You had a shower on Tuesday. It was due on Monday. And it wasn't that it was due on Monday. It was already past due. The cutoff notice was, we're going to come turn your utilities off on Monday. And she's going to have this shower on Tuesday. And she was already thinking, well... You know, it's the summer, we can kind of maybe see through, you know, the sunlight or whatever. So I'm, I'm at this men's retreat. I've just mailed the check in on Friday. And I'm down front, and in the middle of the last session, the speaker goes, I don't even remember the guy's name. He says, okay, I want everybody to stop what you're doing, and I want you to put your head down. So we all did that. He says, while I'm standing here, the Lord's telling me that one of you, or that somebody has a utility bill that's due immediately, and you don't have the money to pay for it, and we're going to take up an offering and give that money to you. Put up your hand if that's who you are. As it turned out, there were two of us. They took up $400, and they literally gave me $200. And with that $200 and the $20 I had in my pocket, we were able to pay the utility bill on Monday. And guess what? I have not ever forgotten that men's retreat. I mean, you know, that, <laughs> he taught me something I've never forgotten. You can imagine that has a really profound impact on you because I didn't know the guy. Nobody knew about this situation. I hadn't told anybody. And yet that's, you know, what he did. Now, I will also tell you, three days later, on a Wednesday, I got a call from a bill collector saying, hey, you're behind on paying such and such, which we had no money to pay that. And I hung up, and I was like, Lord, where are you? I mean, literally, I had a, a miracle occur on Saturday. <laughs> and three days later, you know, I'm, you know, and I'm like, so I have a much greater deal of sympathy for the children of Israel, how they tended to forget <laughs> what was going on, because that actually is the way things happen. Okay, so then there was, uh, within that same year, there was another time where he convicted me, okay, I, don't want, I want you to stop borrowing money because we had just always been borrowing money now just so you know we'll we'll do a teaching some other time where we'll get into the you know whether you should or shouldn't borrow money that's not the point this was for a season of time so i want you to stop borrowing okay so i said okay i mean literally within a no more than a week i think it was within a couple of days the car broke down now i had a credit card i could have you know charged it but it was like no i'm going to pay cash for everything so we took the car into the shop, and I promise you, this was on a Monday, every day for a week, they called back. Well, this was wrong also. We didn't know about that, and it's going to be this much more. Every day, it was $200 more. And this went on for a week. 
So by the end of the week, it was the car's ready, but it's now $1,000, okay? I had no earthly idea. I, they called and said it was ready and gave me the, the amount, which, you know, my secretary wrote down on the, on the phone message. Remember those phone message pads? Wrote it down on the phone message. I didn't even look at it because I was like, this is impossible. And so I literally thought, I'm not going to go get that car until the Lord provides the money, period. I'm just not going to do it. Now, we had a friend who I'd done some work for, and so we happened to play, we never did this, but we happened to play cards with him and his wife on that Friday night. And I was like, is there any way you can pay any of the money that you owe? I didn't tell him what the reason was. I just said, is there any way you can pay any of it? And he was like, man, I'm sorry, I can't. You know, we just don't have any money. He, was, he had started, a, um, he owned a hospital, and, you know, it was through, I'd done some work for the hospital. He calls back on Monday and says, I found a bank account at the hospital that I didn't know, you know, that we had, and we got a little bit of money, and so I can make you a little bit of a payment. And I was really excited about it. He said, now, it's not everything that I owe you, but I can just make a little bit um, of a payment. So I drove over, to the, uh, drove over to the hospital, got the check. It was for $1,047. And I was like, that is amazing. I think that's something like how much I owe on the car. So I went back to the office, got the thing. So he gave me $1,047. The, the note, the phone message was that the car repair was $1,047.43. And I was like, number one, I was, this is exciting, this is great. But that's so weird that the Lord would come up 43 cents short. <laughs> So I actually went and looked up the invoice, and the invoice was for $1,047.50. He actually mispaid the invoice. And had he paid the invoice correctly, it would have been seven cents more you know, than what was owed on the car. So once again, this is happening in the same time frame. As you might guess, that would cause me to think, I think the Lord's taking care of us. You know, I'm not sure. I'm not totally sure. I'm a little slow on this stuff, but it seems like he's taking care of us. So shortly after that, this is the next year, Brittany's now born. She's a baby. And because we had had a bunch of debt that we couldn't pay, you know, the banker was pounding on me all the time. And, you know, do you have collateral? And no, I didn't have a collateral. Well, but we had a car. It was a Honda that had been fully paid for. We'd finished paying it off. And he says, well, uh, can you pledge? We, I was having to roll over the note, you know. And um, he was like, can you pledge the, you know, car? And so I was like, sure, I'll, I'll pledge the car. So we gave him, you know, we kind of assigned the Honda against the note, you know, to the bank that we owed. There was an unsecured line. And so Misha was driving, and she gets in a car wreck. And the car's totaled. Well, because we'd assigned it to the bank, it was the way it works is the payee is us and the bank. I had assumed, incorrectly I might add, that when something like that happens, then whatever the money is, that's how much money you have to get another car, you know, and that that would happen. But the bank said, no, actually we're going to keep the money and apply it against your debt. So now we had three small children a self-employed person, and one car. And so once again, we had to decide, are we supposed to borrow? But the Lord had told us not to borrow during this time. So we said, we're just going to make it on one car. Now, fortunately, I didn't live that far away, but we, and that went on for about a year. But within a matter of probably a few weeks, I don't even know if it was a month, it wasn't very long, we had people start giving us cars. You know, somebody would go out of town for a week, Hey, you can use my car for this week. And we had one particular friend of ours who was going out of town quite a bit, and he did this, and this goes on for like the better part of a year. One weekend, we had five cars. <laughs> and ultimately, this friend of ours just said, look, you take the car, and then you pay me, the, here's how much it'll be. You just pay me for it whenever you have the money. And so... That's how we got through that period of time. We were talking about it this morning. We don't know what we would have done today because you've got to have car seats you know, for all your kids and they wouldn't have fit in a car. But in any event, that's what 
you know, happen. So all of this stuff is going on during this same, you know, time frame. Well, eventually, the bit, so this is in the late 80s, the bit, early 90s, things started turning around, and we started making money. People started paying, and we started having more money. And I was like, Lord, I thought you said we were never going to make very much money. What's going on? And he said, I said you weren't going to have very much. I did not say I wasn't going to run a lot through you. <laughs> oh, okay. And so he kind of reiterated that he wanted us to be giving you know, our money. And that's going to come into play here in just a moment. Uh, so we started making some money. We bought some land, and we were going to build a house. And I'm telling this story about the house primarily because of something that happened recently. But, so we, but we decided, you know what, we can't build a big house. We, we had this dream to build a nice house. By this time, somehow he had managed, I mean, within that, you remember that circumstance I told you about a minute ago? Okay, within five years, we paid everything off. I have no earthly idea to this day how that happened. But we had paid everything off. Um, and so we bought this land, and we were going to build. It was a couple acres. It was wooded. Uh, but we weren't going to build until we thought we could do it financially. And so it, when it came time a few years after that to actually start building, it felt really weird. Because it's kind of like, you know, when you feel like you're supposed to be called to be the mission field, and you think that the mission field you're supposed to be called to is the home office of YWAM in Kona, Hawaii. That's just a little different <laughs> than being called to the bush, you know. So it's kind of like, okay, we're trying to build this big house, and Lord, is that you or is it not? And so we decide, no, we can't afford this. We're not going to do this. And every time we would do that, we would not have any kind of peace. And then we'd say, okay, we will move forward. We'll build a house. Well, we'd have peace, but it made no sense. We couldn't financially figure out how we were going to pay for it. So this went on for a couple of years. We finally ended up just saying, okay, we're going to do it. And by the way, the day we decided to do it, so this was on a um, Tuesday we decided to do it. That day, Brittany um, had a little accident at the house and essentially burned down the house that we had. Actually, <laughs> didn't burn it all the way down, but essentially... You know, there was a house fire, and we had to move out, so it was kind of like we had no going back. You know, it was kind of burning, burning the bridges. So we built a house. Well, we've now been there for 12, you know, over 12 years, I guess. This will be um, 13, you know, years this August. We could have never envisioned it. We've had people live with us. We've had weddings. We've had wedding receptions. We just dedicated it to the Lord. We were kind of like, okay, Lord, if you're going to do this, this needs to be your house. And so... That's what we did, but even to this day, we don't know, you know where all that's going. But we've had this house now for the last 13 years, and the Lord has continued to do it. Misha has the best language of it, and that is, you know, the president, they say um, the cabinet serves at the pleasure of the president. In other words, the resignation is always available. And as she says, we, we serve in this house at the pleasure of the Lord. You know, and so we have long felt like, and this come into relevancy here in just a moment as I'm finishing up, that we're going to end up having to leave that home at some point because it just never has made sense financially because it's a nice big house, you know. But we've entertained a lot of people, we've, you know, and it's really been the Lord's and it's, it seems to have been a blessing. I mean, you'd have to ask other people, but in any event, it's something that he did. So anyway, what happened, and I mentioned this uh, earlier, is over time as you do better, you tend to forget the Lord. And so I got busy, and so there was this 10 or 15-year period from kind of the early to mid-90s to the mid-2000s when, I mean, I was going to church and everything, but I was not focused on the Lord. And so in January of 2005, I went to a men's retreat, and a guy named Eddie Boisseau from IHOP was there. I'd never heard of Eddie. I'd never heard of IHOP. And he was talking about intimacy with the Lord. And it was a life-altering experience for me because in my situation, it wasn't that I had never had intimacy because I actually had back in the 80s when we were struggling. But it was more like a uh, church at Ephesus kind of a deal. Look at the height from which you've fallen. You know, how did I ever get here? You know, how is it I'm not focused wholeheartedly on the Lord? And so I decided at that men's retreat, and then the next weekend, we basically listened to um, 
uh, Mike Bickle's 20-year prophetic history of IHOP. And it was just, Misha was actually, and I was planning on working, but after we had the men's retreat, I spent that weekend listening to this 20-year history. And all these things the Lord had been telling me back in the 80s, for the first time I was hearing somebody else say the same things. And I was like, wow, maybe God actually is doing this, you know, because I'd forgotten about it during that period of time. Now, what had happened just before January is I have probably two-thirds of my income comes in at the end of the year. We extend a lot of tax returns. Most of it comes in at the end of the year. And so the period from October to December normally is a fairly big cash flow period of time because that's why we get all the income at the end of the year. And so what I had is a line of credit that I would use at the bank, you know, to kind of smooth it out. So I'd draw down on the line of credit when there's no cash flow and then pay it back at the end of the year. Well, for whatever reason, right before this happened, the cash flow just stopped. It just dried up. I mean, literally went from, it dropped by 90%. And so by the end of 2004, instead of getting a bonus and being able to pay off the line of credit, I actually owed money back to the company for draws I'd taken. So now I have this $75,000 line of credit and I'm thinking, okay, and it's due in six months. So I'm like, I am going to have to work my tail off to try to create enough income, you know, to pay this thing off or at least pay it down. Well, then January 15th, I have this encounter. And now I'm supposed to focus on the Lord. And I'm like, now, how am I supposed to do that if I'm working all the time? And so I was having this encounter with the Lord. And I, I was like, look, one of the things he told me is you're going to always have enough, but I don't want you to save for retirement. I want you to give away the excess. We had no money saved for retirement. We still have no money saved for retirement. It's all, we have the value of the business or whatever, but we have nothing saved for retirement, which is kind of odd given the business I'm in. <laughs> but, you know, that's what he's told me to do. And so we, we were given away a, a fairly substantial amount of money during this time. Well, so I said, okay, I'm, I'm willing to do that, but it would help if you would take care of this line of credit. And he says, I will take care of it. And so I just believed him and started pursuing the Lord wholeheartedly. Well, about once a month, I would inquire of the Lord. Now, Lord, you know that note's coming due in June. He's, and he basically, yes, I said I was going to take care of it. In fact, it got to a point where it was kind of like there was a little bit of annoyance, you know, or it felt like there was a little of annoyance. Like, how many times do I have to tell you? I said I would take care of it. Um, but I'm a little disquieted about the whole thing as we get closer. Mrs. is a little disquieted, you know, about it. What are you going to do? I don't know. He said he's going to take care of it. <laughs> well, we had bought some land back in Tyler back some number of years ago to have a second home. And so in April, and this was a real dream of ours. So in April, I got a call from a broker saying, hey, do you want to sell this land? Well, I didn't even return the call because the answer was no. I don't want to, you know, sell the land. Well, then in May, I got a letter from a guy. And he said, listen, the guy that called for the broker that was really, I asked him to do it. I own the lot next to yours. And if you don't want to, if you want to build out there, that's great. That's fine. We'll be neighbors and that's wonderful. But if you ever think you might sell, if you'd tell me ahead of time, I would want to buy it perhaps because, and it'd make a difference if I did it before I built this house. And so I was kind of like, Lord, is this you? Is it not you? You know, I've been praying for you to do it. I bought it for 50. Okay. had no idea. So my attitude was he doesn't have enough money to do this. So I, anyway, I called the guy back, didn't get him, I left him voicemail and said, I don't think you have enough money to actually buy this back from me. But if you really want it, I would sell it to you for 125, but you have to pay all the costs. So in other words, over two and a half, you know, over double what I'd paid for it. Cause I was like, if, I, if this is the Lord, then he can pay 75 more than what we paid for it to pay off the note. And not surprisingly, I didn't hear anything from the guy. You know, this is in May. I didn't hear anything for weeks, you know. And so the, the day that the notes due comes, and so I get up, literally have no idea what I'm going to do. Go and check voicemail, and I had a message from this guy. He'd been in Europe, and he was calling back to say, we want to do it, and we'll pay whatever you want to sell it for. And so on the day that the note was due, the Lord gave us the money 
that we were able to essentially pay off the note, tithe on the, on the gain, and pay off the note for the land. We didn't walk away with anything, but he paid off that note on the day that it was due. I'm going to wrap up, and the final story I want to tell you just happened. Now, over the last couple of years, I felt like the Lord has been leading me into more of what we would call ministry, you know, taking more time away from work and doing more things, teaching, preaching, doing stuff like that. And even to the point, like, am I supposed to retire or sell my practice? What am I supposed to do? And, of course, I'm going to need to do that at some point anyway, just from an age point of view. But the question has been, how are we going to make it financially? Because we, you know, have a, a good income, and that pays for everything, but we, things cost a lot of money, and we like to give a lot of money away and all that kind of stuff. And yet we just feel like the Lord's um, wanting us, you know, to move in this direction. Well, one of the obvious things that we have assumed that we're going to lose is our house. Even though we've, you know, been able to bless a lot of people with it, just makes no sense that with a reduced income we'd be able to continue to to have this house because it's it's expensive to operate it's expensive you know there's a big mortgage on it um and so with that as a background in january about what is that eight weeks ago late january now i don't know how i'm going to make any money and i certainly don't know how i'm going to make enough money for us to stay in the house. But I got a FedEx package, and I opened it up, and the mortgage company said, if you'll sign in front of a notary, we'll reduce your mortgage balance by 30%. This is several hundred thousand dollars. This is a big deal. Okay? This is like... A year's worth of income, kind of, kind of. I mean, it's a big deal. And I didn't do anything. We had to sign our signature in front of a notary, and that's it. Now, as it turns out, the reason that happened is basically, apparently, with all this loan debacle, you know, some number of years ago, there's a bunch of people that can't refinance because they're upside down. Well, we have a hard-to-value house, and so our house has always been way undervalued by the property tax people versus what it's actually worth. And they just wrote it down to what the property tax people said it was worth. Because they had entered into this agreement with the federal government that they would do this for a certain number of people. We never missed a payment. We were never behind. We didn't ask anybody. Wow. He created this money out of thin air. <laughs> it was a year or more's worth of income out of thin air. Now, to make it even more, from a tax perspective, I'm kind of like, oh, no, I'm going to have to pay taxes on this, you know. <laughs> and sure enough, that's what it was. There was a, an exception up to the end of last year, and then the, where it would have been tax-free, but if it happened this year, I was going to have to pay tax. So now I'm going to end up having to pay a third of this in taxes out of current cash flow. And so I, my mind starts going with the manipulations, well... You know, should I try to put it on last year's taxes and say that they must have approved it last year even though they didn't notify me till this year? You know, and I'm finding out, no, I'm going to just trust the Lord. Anyway, I did a little research, and the fiscal cliff deals at the end of the year, they extended it for a year. So we essentially got a year's worth of income completely tax-free, paid down on our house. Now, what's the point of all this? Why does this matter? It matters because... He is capable of providing for us in ways we cannot even imagine. I didn't do anything. I didn't deserve it. It's not because I'm good. It's because he's good. And what I would tell you is, he is our provider, really. I mean, this isn't just language. I'm telling you, he is our provider. He owns everything. And he can create it out of thin air. So it does not matter what your need is. He is more than capable of meeting your need. I mean, I, I'm not that special, okay, compared to anybody else. Now, we're all special, and so I'm special in that way. But it's not like he's going to do it for me, and he's not going to do it for you. He is capable of doing that, and we need to get an understanding of that, you know, as we go in it. God is, in fact, our provider. You know, this is... 
This is who he is. This is what he does. It's his money, and it's his responsibility. Our job is to be obedient. It's not our job to make sure we have enough money. It's our job to make sure we're inquiring of the Lord and being obedient to what he says to do with his money. Seriously. And if you say, well, I can't pay my bills or I don't have enough money for college or whatever, what I'm telling you is he can do it. Now, don't try to help him. Okay? He doesn't need your help. Every one of those except this last instance, I could have bailed out and borrowed money or done something, and I would have missed the whole thing. I would have no stories. And every one of them, he waited till the last possible second to come through. And most of us bail out too soon. And so what I'm telling you is, he is capable of doing it, and he wants to show his people what he's capable of doing so that we, in fact, can then you know, encourage others with what he's done for us. And it's not just me. It's not just because he wants me to be talking about it. He wants all of us to be in that situation. Don't create an Ishmael. You know, we, we look back and we think that Abraham was, oh, he should have seen. No, it made sense to him. The Lord gave me this word. It's been 10 or 12 years. This is, a, you know, okay, this must be the obvious answer. And for 10 or 12 more years, 12 more years, it seemed like it was the right answer. But it created all kinds of problems. Now, if you decide to do this, your resolve will be tested. I don't know if you paid attention. But in every one of these cases where he said he wanted me to do something, immediately all kinds of problems happen. So don't sit there and think, okay, if I do this, then the Lord's going to come through. Yeah, he will come through, but you're going to think he's not because that's the way he does things. And yet that's what he wants us to do. Now, go ahead and have the worship team come up. I, and, and let's go ahead and stand. I want to I kind of um, pray for us. Did y'all see Indiana Jones? Those Indiana Jones movies? You remember the third one where Sean Connery's the dad? And he's standing there at the cliff, and he's supposed to go across the cliff, and there's absolutely no way to do it. And finally, he just says, okay, and he just kind of takes a step, and there was, a, there was this ledge underneath him that he could not see. Okay, that is what living this kind of life is like. You will not be able to see it in advance. You may recall at the end when he got to the other side, he threw sand back so he could see it going back, because he couldn't even see it going back. Okay, I can't tell you today how he did what he wanted to do. But what I can do is tell you that he will do it. He is our provider. It is time for us to walk in faith and to build our history in God. In other words, there is going to come a financial calamity is coming. And we just have to be prepared that he's going to take care of us. And if we don't, Who's going to be there to give hope to other people? And so we have to actually be there to be willing to do it. And so what he wants to do this morning, I believe, is enable us to start building our history in God. And so let me just ask you to, uh, there's a couple of things that, that I want to ask us to do. If you feel like you have a stronghold, and, and if you want to come up later for ministry individually, that's fine. But I want us to pray for one another. Okay, exactly what Tracy was doing earlier today. The Lord said, he, you know, that's how he wanted to do it today. So I find that very interesting. He wants us to pray for one another. It's not about the guy that's at the platform that if that guy prays for me, then something's going to happen. It's the nameless, faceless. It's, it's all of us. Okay, this day of being the special guy that brings healing, that's not, those days are over. It's us. There's nobody but us in some other room that's going to do this. We're going to do it for each other. So if you feel like you have a stronghold in financial in the financial area where either there has been doubt in your mind or you uh, feel like the Lord um, hadn't come through or, or that you know, you're struggling uh, to believe what God has said, if you would be willing, just raise your hand and say, I have this struggle in this area. Okay, now I want everybody to look around and I want you to turn. I'm going to pray here 
from up here, and any of you are able to come up later, but I want you to turn and go to someone who has their hand, those of you who don't have your hands up, if you will turn and go to those that do and lay hands on them, we want to do two things. We want to pray for them that the Lord will provide their need. We want to pray that these strongholds will be broken down. But then we want to declare freedom. In other words, it's not enough to say, Lord, do this. We want to also, he's given us the authority 